I love to cook, and my dad cooked, and I think I just kind of took over and learned from him, and so I do a lot of the cooking in our house. And last week, we were having chicken, and I was marinating the chicken in the morning, and that afternoon, I pulled it out, evening, pulled it out, and I was in a Ziploc bag, and I set it on the counter, turned to grab something, and the same child that thought Trey was yelling help comes up and says, what's that, daddy? He's three years old. So that's raw chicken. I want some. You can't have raw chicken. But I like raw chicken. No, you don't. You've never had raw chicken. I know. I'm your dad. You've not had raw chicken. I want raw chicken. You cannot have raw chicken. It's bad for you. Then I'm never going to get raw chicken. And he storms away. Have you had those fights with your kids? You just think to yourself, this is like, can it get more ridiculous than this? I wish I could somehow convey to you that like you just can't have raw chicken. But that's part of being a parent, right? We protect our kids from things they can't protect themselves from. We protect our our kids from things that they might not even realize are bad for them, even after you tell them it's bad for them. We're still trying to protect them. Today, as we continue in Philippians, Paul wants to protect this congregation. He wants to protect them from something that he believes they may be susceptible to. Something that I think probably all of us may be susceptible to. Maybe even it's a part of our lives right now. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds. Lord, speak to us in the deep places of our lives. Uh, Get us past our excuses. Get us past those things that may be distracting us. And allow us, Lord, to hear from you by your spirit that we may be changed to be more like christ and it's in his name that we ask it amen i invite you if you would open your bibles to philippians chapter 3 philippians chapter 3 we are halfway through this book two more chapters to go that we will finish out through the summer Uh, the way paul begins this i I think that chat verse 1 is It's a preacher's favorite verse. Remember where we are in the book? We're halfway through. And Paul begins this way. Finally, brothers. That is typically this way of doing it. In conclusion. How many times does a preacher say in conclusion and then go on for another 25 minutes? (laughs) Paul's going to go on for two more chapters after coming to the end. So... I have freedom. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, I'm not going to say anything about rejoicing in the Lord right now, because in two weeks, when we start chapter four, that is a main part of the beginning of it. And in fact, what seems to be happening here is Paul does this. Look, brothers, I want to draw, draw you back to something. All the way through chapters one and two, he's been talking about joy and rejoicing. I want to draw you back to this. I want you to rejoice. But as he says it, 
It's like something clicks and he goes, but I need to warn you about something that can take that joy away. Because the transition between verse 1 and verse 2 is very abrupt. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I don't mind writing to you again. It's not a trouble for me. In fact, it's a safeguard for you. Beware. Look out. And he jumps right in. He doesn't deal with the rejoicing part. He deals with what can destroy the rejoicing part. That's where we're going. Paul wants to protect this church, and I believe us. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. If you could see this in Greek, there's a play on words here. It is a, it's like a boom, boom, boom. Look out, look out, look out, and then three Ks to describe them. Look out, look out, look out. That's what he does here, very intentionally. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And when you first hear it, you might not know what he's talking about, dogs. That could just be generic, you know, calling somebody a bad person. It could be more specific, unclean, as an animal. Or it could be even more specific, something dealing with Gentiles that were called dogs. This other one, evildoers, it's evil workers in Greek. And it's the same term you're going to get later on where you have works. Instead of good, he's calling them evil workers. And you still don't quite know until you get to this one. Those who mutilate the flesh. Now, he's going to say next, um, for we are the circumcision, and then you get an idea of where he's going. Mutilate the flesh. That is a way of referring to those who are part of, they call themselves the circumcision. He's calling it a mutilation of flesh. Sound kind of harsh? He's referencing what the Old Testament will reference as people who lacerate their skin for pagan rituals. That's what he's calling what they're doing. They are doing circumcision, but that's what Paul thinks of this. This is a group of people that, to be fair, we honestly don't know a ton about them. In fact, it's likely they're not even in Philippi right now. The way Paul writes this, he doesn't write it as, look out there right here in your midst. It's more like a, be vigilant, be aware of, watch for this. There is this group, this group that he describes in all of these ways, that think of themselves as the circumcision. Now, what does that mean? Now, here's what Paul writes in verse 3. For we are the circumcision." who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Understand that in the first century, if you are an average Jew, now, just like in Christianity, we have all kinds of beliefs, and we've got some people over here that are real extreme in one way, and we've got some people over here that are extreme in another way, and Judaism was not the same across the board. When we read in the Gospels about some of the legalism in the Pharisees, we should not think that all Jews in the first century looked like that. Right? So 
what is Paul referring to? Most likely, he was referring to this. Circumcision was one of the primary markers that showed you were part of the people of God. You were part of the covenant people by being circumcised. Now, there are other markers. He's going to mention them in a minute. He himself has them. But now he turns it and he says, okay, these people over here, whoever they are, they think that they are the people of God because of certain things. But what I want to tell you is we, this other group, we are really the circumcision. We are the people of God, the covenant people who worship by the Spirit of God, who boast, that's what that word is, who boast, who have confidence in Jesus, and who don't put confidence in the flesh, who don't look at these markers, these badges, um, these credentials. They don't look at those things and somehow depend on them. They don't think, okay, as long as I'm circumcised, I am in. As long as I have certain things, it makes me this. He says that, that we really are the circumcision. Right? And, I, and by the way, Paul would say, I'm not telling you this because somehow I'm inadequate in that way. It's not like I'm jealous of them. Like those guys... They have the Torah, and they follow the law, and they're Hebrews, and it's not like they have something up on me. When I say what I'm saying to you, Philippians, I say it as an insider, right? Let me show you what he's about to do. Um, A while ago, maybe a year or so, um, I went to a wedding, and while I was at the wedding, the person who was doing the service, um, he was not ordained, he was not a pastor, in fact, um, he worked for a telecommunications corporation, and he went online, and he got his ability to perform marriage, got a certificate. Well, during the dinner beforehand, I'm sitting next to him, and I, I, I didn't put it together, I'm just sitting next to him. And he's talking about all the things like he's not sure what to do. He's never done a wedding before. And, and he's wondering about what to say and when to say it and how to do this and what to do with this. And he's, he's just talking to this thing and I'm talking with him and, and I find out what he does. And then he says, well, what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and you could see him just go, oh, um, and all of a sudden it's like, let me ask you these questions, and what about this and this and this and this? Because I was an insider. Like the things that I was saying, I knew, I knew it. I had done weddings, lots of weddings. I was trained to do this. Hey, what Paul is about to explain, Paul does not say, well, those guys aren't really the circumcision, we are. Because somehow Paul is like jealous of their accomplishments. Or Paul doesn't quite get it. Like, they've done a whole bunch of great stuff, and Paul just couldn't measure up. No, Paul is an insider. He could have been on this side. And here's what he says. Though, verse 4, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right, here's his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel 
Not just that, but of the tribe of Benjamin. Very specific. I know exactly what my pedigree is. And Benjamin's a very important tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. My family, we're not Hellenistic. We still speak the Hebrew language. We're still steeped in it. As to the law, a Pharisee, as strict as you can get. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I went all out. In first century Judaism, zeal became almost a technical term. And Paul fit it. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, he doesn't say sinless. He says blameless. And he means that. Paul lived out the law, and any time he broke it, he did the appropriate sacrifices ritually to be clean. Under the law and righteousness, he is blameless. Paul would say to these guys over here, I have every credential that you could hope to have. And I am still telling you, that is not it. So what is Paul? What, what, what should we be about? If this isn't it, what is it? Keep going. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All right. This is really, really important. Paul begins to use accounting language. Whatever was to my gain, in the column of gain, which would be all these things he just talked about, all of those things I count as loss. I strike them out. Why? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Now, here's what is so significant. These things over here, in and of themselves, they are not bad. There is nothing wrong with being circumcised, with having Torah, with being a Hebrew. These things are not bad in and of themselves. And in fact, in Romans 3 and in Romans 9, Paul will say, what advantage is there to being a Jew? And there are many, he says. And he talks about the covenants and the patriarchs and all of these markers we're talking about right now. They in and of themselves are not a bad thing. However, they don't even compare to knowing Christ. And what you need to see is this. It's not a bad versus a good It's not a, well, of course I'm going to choose Jesus. This is a bunch of junk. It's a, these are really good things, but if you think these are good, this thing here is so good that those aren't even worth considering. In fact, I consider them loss. Let me explain it like this. Um, I was thinking of husbands and wives, and while I was thinking about it, I ran across this. Um, These are tweets from husbands to wives or from wives to husbands. And they're tweets that especially married couples will understand. This is a tweet from a wife. 
my husband still talks about that one time he loaded the dishwasher correctly, like it's going to get our kids into Harvard. <laughs> this is from a husband. Couples have an amount they can spend up to without discussing with each other. Mine is around $50. My wife's is around $643.27, apparently. (laughs) Marriage is mostly about knowing which hand towels you can use and which ones are for better people who visit your wife's home. (laughs) I told my husband I wanted a hedgehog. He said we didn't need a hedgehog. Long story short, we're picking it up on Thursday. Trying to see if I have... Okay, I don't see any little kids. All right. Married sexting. I'm not wearing any underwear, dot, 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 because you never put the laundry in the dryer like I asked you to a (laughs) hundred flipping times. And lastly... When I awoke from the car accident in a full body cast, my wife was right at my bedside to let me know that childbirth is still more painful. (laughs) Before I got married, I dated. And I dated some wonderful ladies. And I dated some not wonderful ladies. But I I I had some good relationships. I dated a few women that were smart and attractive and good people and followers of Christ. They don't compare to my wife. And it's not because they're bad. It's not like, well, of course, I mean, they're like dogs. Of course I chose my wife. No, it's not that at all. They are good, good-looking kind, intelligent people. They do not compare to the surpassing worth of my wife. I want nothing to do with them. I consider it a loss compared to knowing her. Do you see the difference? When you think of knowing Christ, it's not just because like everything in your life is bad. All the good in your life He still is so far above all that good that all that is worth counting as loss because he's that great. He's that amazing. He's that beautiful. He's that wonderful. The far surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, said I count all that as loss. Let me tell you the first danger. When we don't do that, And this is what Paul, I think, is warning against, number one. We will lose our focus on Christ, and we will start to focus on other things. And that that will lead us astray every single time. Let's just start with their things. I guarantee you there were Jews that were taking some of these rituals And they no longer saw the rituals as showing that they belong to the covenant. They began to see the rituals as significant in and of themselves. And just doing the ritual. And when I do the ritual, I'm better than you are. 
And because I am Jewish and you are not, I am better than you are. That was starting to happen. Not with all of them, but with some of them. The focus was being lost from Christ onto the things. Oh man, can we do that in our tradition? I mean, just think about the things that we do. Think about our rituals. Think about all this stuff. We can start to see these things that we do as isolated from Christ, as in some way they have the meaning. We get lost in them, and as long as I'm doing them, I'm better than somebody else. Oh, you don't take communion every week? Well, you're not quite as good a Christian as I am, because real Christians do it every week. Those types of things bring it even closer to home. I read my Bible more than you read your Bible. I must be better than you are. Those two things aren't connected. Right? When we do it in light of Christ and to see him and to be with him, to raise him up to see his glory, those things can have vast amounts of meaning. That is why I am Anglican. Hey, I was a Bible church pastor. I am here because of the ways in which these things have allowed me to see the beauty and glory of Christ in ways I never saw it before. But when I lose that, it's dead ritual. Even worse than that, it's leading me away from Christ. That's what was happening. Those things were becoming more significant than God himself and the covenants and all of it. They were becoming the thing. We cannot lose this the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ above everything in your life. Not just the bad, but the good. He is worth more than all the good that's in your life. So much more that Paul would say it's loss. And number two, I'm going to find my Bible. Go back into Philippians 3. Halfway through verse 8. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. It's like Paul says, you know, I've given these things up. Oh, wait, no. And actually, I've suffered the loss of everything. Um, Not just those things. All of it. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This is one of two times in Scripture. One in the old, one in the new where your best translation is an actual curse word. Think of what we might say instead of rubbish. That would be an appropriate translation of this word. I mean, he, this is a, here is Paul going, I consider all these things a loss. No, you know what? For how great Christ is, I consider everything. I can't say it. I went, I said something two weeks ago I maybe shouldn't have. I really can't say this. That's how far this is going. And he's really trying to get something across here. I consider it rubbish, garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. That's the goal. I want to gain Christ. Not anything any of this can give to me, but him. That's what I want. Him and nothing else. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And let me say again, that's not a bad thing either. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 25 says to the Israelites, if you obey the law, it will be your righteousness. It is not a bad thing. However, compared to the righteousness in God, it is nothing. It is rubbish. It is Isaiah 64, filthy rags. That's where he's going. He's not trying to say that there's no possible righteousness whatsoever because you follow the law. No, there is. It just, it's rubbish compared to what you get in Christ. Keep going. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, and um, you can trust me on this, you can ignore me on this, you can scribble it out and write it in your Bible if you want to. I don't think this should say through faith in Christ. This should say through the faithfulness of Christ. In Greek, it can be subjective or object, the faith of or the faithfulness of, one or the other. It's either Christ is what I'm putting faith in or Christ is the one who is faithful. And in this context, it makes better sense to say his faithfulness to God the Father to live what he was called to do. Remember the hymn in chapter two? He was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. It's his faithfulness is why we have any righteousness whatsoever from God. Now, that doesn't mean our faith isn't in there. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, okay, it's both. But without his faithfulness, we have nothing. But there is a righteousness that so far surpasses anything you and I will ever have on our own that we can only get because he was faithful first and we can then, and notice, depend on, that's that confidence language from before, they are confident in these things, I will be confident in Christ and his faithfulness. That is worth more than anything I can do on my own, ever. And there is a huge danger in this one. Actually, two. Number one, if we take our eyes, our thoughts, our motivations, our actions away from faith that gives us the righteousness of God in any way, here's what will happen. You will seek your own righteousness. And we all do this. It comes out in two different ways. Either you will begin to be successful and you will get a higher and higher view of yourself in comparison to other people. You will begin to succeed at certain things. You will find yourself, I'm not lying. I don't lie, I tell the truth. I treat people a certain way, but they don't. I am better than they are. And you will start to look like the Pharisee who stood up before the Lord and said, thank you that I am not like this sinner. Because that's what happens when we start focusing on our righteousness and thinking that our good deeds somehow make us better than, closer to God. We become right back over into this area, this ring where we start going, 
my markers, my badges, my credentials, and it is a terrible place to be. It makes us legalistic. It makes us uncompassionate. And I guarantee you there's another side to it. At some point you will fall from your perch. Because all of us fall. No matter how good we are in something, we're going to fall in this thing over here. No matter how we good are, we are in this, at some point, I'm going to lie. We're going to be on the other side. We're going to feel so awful and terrible and horrible about ourselves that we're going to end up in a place that I think Peter got to. Where Peter denies the Lord and he's so crushed. He is weeping and then he just doesn't know what to do. And it's not until Jesus restores Peter that Peter can continue in ministry. Because either side, focusing too much on how good I am or thinking too less of myself. Let me just say, we're all sinners, right? Amen to that, we're all sinners. That does not mean you are the worst possible person in all of the world. But sometimes we go there. Sometimes we start seeing me way down here and other people up here. That's just as bad. Because God loves you. God places value in your life because of his love for you. God gave his son that you might be fully redeemed and in relationship with God, part of his body. Either direction is bad. It is unhealthy. And I think ultimately this is what it leads to. And you may not feel like you're really way, way down this path or way, way down this path, but here's the subtlety in it. This is where I think it all leads. We will become like the rich young ruler. And I'm just going to give you, this is, this is what I think happens with the rich young ruler. He does not necessarily think of himself as the most righteous person out there. It's not a giant pride thing when he says, okay, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. It's not like, well, I've done all of these things and all these peons over here haven't. It's not that. Nor is it, oh, I'm just so awful and so terrible. But it's more subtle. He believes in himself more than he believes in Christ. So that when Christ comes along and says, there's one more thing you need to do. He does not believe that he needs to do that. If he actually believed that by doing that, he would have eternal life, he would do it. There's a subtlety where it comes to this. And we don't say it out. We would not say this. I, don't, I just don't trust you, Christ. We wouldn't say that. We would live it, though. We would make choices that show we're actually trusting in us more than we're trusting in him. And that is utterly ridiculous, and we all know it. So we're, we had some people over for dinner, and I, like I said, I cook. And uh, we're eating, and they are praising the spaghetti sauce. I mean, just praising it. 
they're like, this is, this is so good. I'm like, oh, what do you think about the dressing? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's fine. No, oh, this spaghetti sauce, though, is so good. What, what about the salad? Do you like the salad? The spaghetti sauce is amazing. Like, I, I don't know what you did. It's so good. What about the bread? Like, what, you know, the stuff I put on it, and they go, oh, that's yeah, fine. This spaghetti sauce is so good. It's awesome. It's like ragu. Yeah, I put it in the microwave and heated it up before dinner. I made the dressing from scratch. I went out and picked all the vegetables up and made the salad, everything else. I did all of that from scratch. I, like, joined all the ingredients, and it, I just put it in the microwave. But that's the thing that I like the most. Now, could you imagine if this becomes my attitude? Man, I am good at making spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I mean, I'm so good at this. I'm just going to start making spaghetti sauce. What's going to happen? Is it going to just thrill everybody and they're going to be like, that's so amazing. It's like, no, suddenly I'm taking credit for something that's not mine. I'm getting lost in how good I think I am. And I'm really not. I mean, really legitimately not. Like, I can go to the store and pick out the right jar, I guess. But, like, I'm legitimately not as good as I think I am. Watch out. We think far too highly of ourselves at times. We're far too enamored with our successes. And honestly, we're far too enamored with our failures. I mean, in both ways. And it leads us to this danger of not focusing on him. What he is saying about us, what he has done for us on our behalf. Paul says, I'm scratching all of it and I'm putting my entire focus on Jesus and on what he has accomplished on my behalf, on who he is, his far surpassing worth. And I'm just, not going to focus on these things any longer. We have to protect our kids because sometimes they can't protect themselves. I mean, if they're boys, unfortunately our wives have to protect us still. I mean, we're just, boys just never seem to grow up and we always want to do dangerous things and stupid things sometimes. But unfortunately, our kids, they grow up. We don't just get to keep protecting them. I mean, they grow up. At some point, they start making their own decisions. They start doing their own things. They have to make decisions. You have to make some decisions about your relationship with God. Because here's what happens in church, and I'm going to end with this. You listen to somebody teach you. You listen to somebody, and sometimes they encourage you, and they inspire you, and they convict you, and sometimes they just bore you, whatever it is. But you hear it. Sunday after Sunday, you hear it. But then you walk out the door, and, and I'm, I'm not going to call you every day and go, now, how's it going? How's that righteousness thing going? Because i got to deal with my own. Hey, I'm screwed up as you are. But at some point, you get the warning. You get the protection. You get Paul saying, look out and be vigilant. But then we have to actually be vigilant. Please, 
don't walk out of this room this morning and go, man, I'm glad my spouse heard that message. (laughs) Man, did he or she need that. I only wish Mark Hill were here to hear it. Because he needed that message. And I told him I'd say his name and then give him the recording. Hear it for yourself. Where are you taking your eyes off of Christ and putting them on you? Where are you focused on your righteousness and comparing it to other people? Where is your fallenness so bad that you just think you're totally awful and everybody else is better than you are and you can't even focus on Christ because it's drawn you so far down? Where are you trusting yourself more than you're trusting Christ? Don't let it just wash over you. Hear it, accept it, and turn your eyes to Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for all that he has done on our behalf. Lord, for who he is. Lord, help us have a vision of his beauty and his majesty and his glory and his love that is so great, that infinite love that we can never exhaust. Lord, give us that vision that we might love him more than anything else in our lives. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.